1 Samuel 23. Uh, before we get into it, um, it we're going to do the entirety of it, which is 29 verses, quite a bit, but I'm going to really skim through quickly verses 1 through 13. I've done extensive studies in, um, in that portion of scripture. You can get it on the internet if you want. Um, the picture is David uh, saving the citizens of Keilah from the Philistines when they're robbing the threshing floor. After he saves their life, then uh, Saul comes to get him. He's in a walled city, and the citizens of Keilah that he just ended up saving betray him. And, uh, and then David hops on his horse and rides out of town with his men. He's not embittered or anything. And there's a lesson in that that I'll cover briefly. But um, I just wanted to share with you that the word Keilah means walled city, and it's also interpreted as cutting away. And, and uh, we're going to pick up uh, in a moment in verse 14 where David ends up in the wilderness of Ziph. Now, Keilah means cutting away, and Ziph means refining place. So God is removing things from his life in Keilah, and then he, he sends him into the wilderness, into the wilderness of Ziph with the Ziphites who were also from Judah. And, and there is a refining place. So he, he takes him from, you know, the, the frying pan into the fryer, however you want to say it. This is a miserable season in David's life. Uh, he has had moral failure in the sense that uh, he lied to Ahimelech and the priests at Nob. And then Doag betrayed him and killed all the, the high priests and their families. And uh, David is responsible for that. He's fleeing from Saul He's, he, he killed Goliath, and now he's down in Gath uh, in the city of Goliath himself. He feigned madness in front of Ashish, the king. And uh, he is just not in a victorious manner. He is running in fear. Fear and faith can't coexist. And, um, and David just goes into basically uh, the enemy camp. And uh, he says, maybe I'll find peace there. And it's fascinating. And, and I, don't, I don't know... Quite frankly, um, God's sovereign power and his pain and, and when his love come together, I don't see how they harmonize sometimes. Uh, when, you, when you visit a, a couple in the hospital whose child has been diagnosed with leukemia, who's just you know, three years old, and, and uh, you're, you're at a place where they're saying, why would God take my child? I, 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 I don't have the answer at that. God's sovereign power, I know immediately he could heal that child. I know he has that power. I know he has the ability to do it. I know that the family's being taken through a season of pain. Uh, I know it's a cutting away. I know it's a refining process. I, I don't know where God's love is in all of that. I, I, I struggle, quite frankly. I, I know it works together and all things work together for good. And people who've gone through that process are deeper in their walk. But there are times when you're going through the pain and you're going through the refining and you're going through this place where you're face to face with God's sovereign power, where you just want to check out. You, you, you don't want to do it anymore. And, and then the enemy will always give you an escape. You can always go down to the land of the enemy. He'll always invite you and you think that all your problems are going to go away and you get down there. And then the next thing you know, you're feigning madness, allowing drool to dribble down your beard like David did. And you're betraying your, your own friends and family and loved ones. And, and that's what happens. And that's the misery of drugs themselves, regardless of whatever your sin may have been or is. Um, it, it doesn't pick you up. It, it, it puts you further back. And it alienates you and puts you in the camp of the enemy and destroys your life. All because we live in a world that's fallen, in a world that has pain, and God, by his sovereign power and through pain and the suffering, you don't count it strange, these, these um, you know, as, as 
1 Peter 4 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing is happening to you, but rejoice in the extent that you partake in Christ's sufferings. And, and then it goes on to say that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. He, he puts us in times of suffering. And it's his sovereign hand that does that. And you, you go, well, but how can God do that? Uh, well, you need it. I don't know. I can tell you that every time he's ever done it to me, I needed it. And there are times I fought it. And every time I fought it, I lost. And you think you're winning. You know, what was that one guy that was always drugged up and just, he was uh, two men and a baby or whatever it was, or two, two and a half men, Charlie Sheen. Winning? No, 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 not winning. He, he, it, was, it was just, every, everyone in the world could see it. You're not winning. And he just, he was in this grand delusion, just hopped up that he's winning. And, uh, and you're losing. And, and the Lord will take us through the pain in his sovereignty, in the depression, in the darkness, and in there, he's going to reveal a greater aspect of our character. Now, remember David in this season of his life, as he's been cast out of the kingdom and Saul's gone out to kill him and Jonathan shot the arrow over his head and David's now in the wilderness and he's been in the cave of Adullam and he's failed and he's just going through this depression People are coming around him because, you know, they heard that he's a king and they remember that he slew Goliath. And so his family follows him into the cave and 400 people follow him into the cave. And David is just, you know, why are you here? I just want to be alone. And they're looking for a leader. Lead us. And he's, I can't, I can't lead you. I can't even get my own life together. Just leave me alone. No, David, there's greatness in you. We heard that Samuel anointed you with oil and, and you were picked of all of the sons of Jesse and we saw what you did with Goliath and we, we've, we've heard the songs that you've written in the Psalms and we know you have a heart for God and we see your worshipful spirit. We know you killed the lion. We know you killed the bear. And Jonathan had laid down his cloak and his, and his sword and, and everything at your feet and everyone recognizes, can't you see it, this calling on your life? And David's like, I don't want it. Because it comes with pain. Yeah, it does. You're, you're going to go through a, a wilderness season. God gives you that BSD degree backside of the desert. He reduces you to a minimum that he can pour in his maximum. God's not interested in what you bring to the equation. He's interested in what he brings. He reduces you to a minimum so he can pour in his maximum. All he wants is your availability. He'll give you the ability he wants your availability. He has all the ability. And, and if you're going to accomplish a supernatural task, you need supernatural power. You can't do it in your own strength. And God brings us to those places where we run out of our own ability. We run out of our own strength. And God says, do you want to go it alone? Or do you want to do it according to my principles? If you're going to lead my people and you're going to lead this revival and you're going to lead folks in this direction, you have to keep your eyes on me, the author and finisher of your faith. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord, not you, by the Lord. Now you have to keep your eyes on me, David. Will you trust me every step of the way? Will you abide in me? Will you rest in the shadow of the Almighty? And, and there's no room for you to go, well, you know, I will accept, I kind of want this in my life. No, that's got to go too if you're going to lead. There's no skeletons in the closet. There's, there's no hidden cupboards. It's all mine. It's all mine. And so we're seeing in this season of David's life, he is in the middle of the wilderness. We're going to see that in verse 14, but not just a physical wilderness, which he's in, but he's also in a spiritual wilderness. He's struggling. And I, 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 I take great comfort from this passage in my own personal life. I pray it does the same for you. I'll pick up in verse one, 1 Samuel 23. It says, well, let me pray. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. And as we prayed earlier, Lord, cause us to come alive to your word. 
I pray, God, that you'd minister. I pray that you would touch lives. I pray that you would deliver folks from those things that easily beset them. Uh, that they've been running down to Gath and they've been living in the land of the enemy and, and their families are being destroyed and their lives are being destroyed. And all they need to do is just yield. And, and you bring us into that wilderness. You remove all those aspects so that we would trust wholly in you every waking moment. And even while we sleep, Lord, you guard us and you guide us and you protect us. So Lord, please, I pray that you'd minister deeply tonight in Jesus' name, amen. Then they told the Philistines, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they're robbing the threshing floors. And therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Look, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? And then David inquired of the Lord once again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. It was a promise from God. David and his men went to Keilah, fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, took away their livestock. So David saved, I want that to echo in your mind, he saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with the ephod in his hand. And by the way, Abiathar was the last living relative of all the priests that had been killed at Nob. Ahimelech was dead. Abiathar was his son. David was responsible because he lied to Ahimelech. Abiathar's coming down there. He's giving him the ephod. The ephod is the instrument that they use to inquire of the Lord. This is a, a, a young man that is very merciful and forgiving. So he went down with ephod in his hand, verse 7. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Then Saul called on the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. And then David said, O Lord, God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Now watch this. Will the men of, the, of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. Now, how many questions did David ask of the Lord? Okay, I'm going to start verse 1 again until you pay attention. <laughs> how many questions did he ask of the Lord? Who's born on their birthday? Come on now. He asked two questions. Look, he said... Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Here's verse 11. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? And will Saul come down as your servant has heard? How many questions? Three. three. Okay, you go to the back of the room and put on the dunce cap. Two questions. I'll do it slower for you. Will the men... Oh, Lord God of Israel, I pray tell your servant. So, so David asked two questions of God. Here we go. And the Lord said, he will come down. So he asked two questions. How many answers did he get? Oh my gosh. One answer. He didn't answer the first question, will the citizens of Keilah betray me? He did answer the second question, that Saul's coming down. You see, David, and I emphasize this when I read it, David saved the citizens of Keilah. He saved them. Have you ever had anyone save your life? I, I, I saved a young girl when she was drowning, gave her CPR. She was 12, 13 years old. For years, she'd send me a, uh, a thank you note on her birthday until I'd moved and lost contact with her. Started her heart, started her breathing, saved her life. And 
she, she was so thankful that she kept writing cards. I imagine a lot of you, you know, there's doctors that have done amazing things in your life and you're grateful to them. Uh, you're, you're indebted to somebody who saves your life. It's fascinating that David saves the citizens of Keilah and the first opportunity they get to repay him for the good he did, what do they do? They betray him. They betray him. You ever had someone you love that you've poured your life into betray you, steal from you, cheat you? What do you do? Well, watch what David does. Verse 13. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, and so he halted the expedition. You see, David later asked the Lord, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hands of the Lord in verse 12? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. When David hears that, he, asked, he had to ask it a second time. God didn't even want to answer. He knew it would break David's heart. David's like, are you kidding me? They're going to betray me? I mean, this was, this, this was Saul's job to fight the Philistines. They were robbing their threshing floor. The threshing floor is in, when the harvest comes in, they, they have to step out of the walled city where the wind blows. They have to crush the grain. They have to throw it up in the air because there has to be wind blowing. You can't do that in a walled city. And when they separate the wheat from the chaff, then they gather it up and they put it in bags. And that is their storehouse to cause them to survive for the remainder of the year. That's their livelihood. That's, that's how they survive. And, and it's like the ants in, in a bug's life or, or whatever it is not the ants, but the grasshoppers in bug's life, they wait for everything to be gathered and then they come in and steal it. And that's the Philistines. They're coming in to steal it. And then the word is given to David that the Philistines are coming to rob the threshing floors of Keilah. They're going to wipe the city out. Saul's the one who should be defending the citizens of Judah. He's the one who should be defending the, the citizens of Israel. And he's not. David inquires of the Lord. God says, go down and fight them. I'll deliver them into your hands. David goes down, fights them. They're delivered in the hands. Even his, his his men go, are you crazy, David? We're already fighting Saul. Well, how can we take on another battle with the Philistines? And we're going down to the land there? That's insane. You don't take on a two-fronted war. And David says, listen, I'll go ask the Lord again. And what's fascinating is David is now inquiring of the Lord. He didn't do that before. He was operating in fear. Now he's back asking God what to do. That's a good thing. It's like Mary saying to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do, pointing to Jesus. And so David is inquiring of the Lord and God says to him, yeah, go down and, and save them and I will deliver the Philistines in your hand. And so the men say, all right, David, let's go. They're willing to follow him. This is a man who's gone through depression. He's in the cave of Adullam. He's just failed. Uh, the, the ephod that was brought to him was Abiathar, who was Ahimelech's son. I mean, there is all kinds of remnants to, to remind everybody there that David is on a rock of failure. And yet they still see in him a man inquiring of God. And he gets on his knees. He just says, Lord, I've made some massive mistakes, but will you tell me what to do? And I don't care how far you've walking, walked away from the Lord. He will never leave you or forsake you. Uh, stand up, Mark. Well, yeah, I've done this before. I love this. Stand up. You, you, you can, when, when you receive the Lord, you say, Jesus Christ, come into my life. He comes into your life. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Take a hundred steps away. Just keep walking, keep walking. doesn't matter how far Mark walks away from the Lord. And the Bible says, repent. Repent means to turn. You turn, he's right back with you. Give me some love there, big buddy. Amen. And so everything's fine. And the Lord restores that. And that's, that's David. He's, he's screwed up a thousand times. He cries out to God, inquires of the Lord. The Lord speaks to him. And, and the men see it, and they say, let's do it. They go down, they save the citizens of Keilah. David's like, man, this is so good, we're on a roll. We're on a roll. 
And then he hears that Saul's coming down. He goes, okay, all right, Saul's coming down. Now I know the character of man. I know what I'm capable of doing. I imagine these people are capable of doing it. God, is Saul coming down to kill me? And will the citizens of Keilah betray me? Yes, Saul's coming down. Well, I, but the Lord, I ask you two questions. <laughs> you didn't answer the second one. David, I'm going to be hanging on a cross. You're going to prophesy that. You're going to see it in the spirit. And while I'm there bleeding, everyone's going to leave me. Even, even Peter who said, I'll even go to prison and die for you. The rooster will crow three times. Or Peter will die me three times before the rooster crows. I, when the sh- shepherd is struck, the sheep will scatter. I, I know the ingratitude of man. You see, David, a few years from now, there's going to be 10 lepers. And never in the history of Israel was a leper healed. I'm going to heal 10 of them. And only one is going to come back and say thank you. The other nine got what they wanted, and I'm out of here. Give me what I want, and I'm out of here. People come to church because they want something. When they get it, they leave. They pretend to be your friend. They pretend to be a part of what you're doing, they just, but they just want to fix, and then they're gone. But it's the ones that come back, and they're just moved, and they're deeply touched, and they want to come back, and they want to say thank you, and they say thank you because they want to participate. They want to engage. They want to serve others as the way they've been served. great way out of depression is to serve other people. And David says, Lord, I asked you two questions. You only gave me one answer. David, I I hesitate to tell you the second one because my heart will be broken just like yours will. Even Jesus says, weren't there 10? Where are the other nine? Even God marveled at the ingratitude. I mean, we can barely say thank you at a meal, let alone for the rain that fell from the sky in the last few days. The food upon our table and the bed in which we sleep and the roof above our head and the warmth of the room in which we sit and the freedom of the nation in which we live where we open the scriptures freely to study. And do we say thank you? You know, there's an elderly man. My, my daughter told me this story just the other day. She comes in, she's just shaking. I go, what's up, honey? She says, dad, you won't believe this. I was at the gas station. This elderly man came in. He almost hit this woman's car. He didn't even see it. He pulled in the wrong way and his gas cap was on the other side. And the woman that he almost hit got out and she started cussing at him. And the man was in his eighties and she's just cussing at him and just yelling at him and yelling through the car. And you, you realize you almost hit me, you stupid idiot and F you and on and on and on. And Kelly finally just loses. She gets out and she says, what are you doing, woman? You respect your elders. And she, used the, she said, holy crap, I liked it. And she says, hey, respect your elders. She says, you respect your elders. She says, I am, I'm not cussing at you. I'm not calling you names and degrading you. And she turns to the elderly man in the car. She says, how much gas do you want? She says, he's shaking, $20. Kelly goes in, pays for it, comes and pumps the gas. The woman's leaning on her horn. You know, and, and finally, the man just says, God bless you, thank you, drives away. And the woman's just agitated. Kelly gets in her car, drives away. I think about this. Maybe that man served our nation. Respect your elders. Stand in the presence of the gray-haired one. What has happened to manners and civility and kindness? And yet Jesus marveled at the ingratitude of man and David is now just kicked in the gut. The first chance they get to repay David for the kindness he gave them, they betray him. And, and, and God just probably 
struggled in verse 12, just saying, David, or verse, yeah, verse 12, he says, they will deliver you. I love verse 13, and, and, and I'll tell you why this can happen. David and his men, about 600, arose, departed from Keilah, went wherever they could go, and then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, so he halted the expedition. You know what David did when he was betrayed? Nothing. The strength of a man is measured by the power he possesses that he doesn't use. Do you think nails held Jesus to the cross? He was God. They spit on him. Do you realize those, those nails are nothing to God? He could just went... One angel wiped out 187,000 Assyrians. Could you imagine what God could do? Squish you, squish you, squish you, squish you. He was a lamb silent to the slaughter. (laughs) David would write later that a man who can control his spirit is greater than a man who can conquer a city. And you know who would write that? Solomon. David would live it, give it to his son, his son would write it. Everything that Solomon wrote, he learned from David more more than likely. Wisest man who ever lived, as far as the Proverbs go, wrote him, never obeyed him. (laughs) David lived him, taught him, Solomon heard them, wrote them, and didn't obey them. I know, I know, I know, I know. That's one of the things I hate the most when kids say that. Oh, I know, I know. Oh, come here. And, and, and what does David do? Does he lash out? Do you realize what I did for you people? You ingrates, you pathetic losers. Everybody, wipe them out, kill them. They don't deserve to live. The scripture says, David and the 600 men arose, departed from Key Island, went wherever they go. They just got on their horses and just left town. They weren't angry. They weren't bitter. Why? Because they remembered the command. What was the command? Go and save the citizens of Keilah, and I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. That's what God told him to do. David did it. What does that mean? It's a cutting away. Your flesh betrays you in relation to your relationship with the Lord. I love God. I serve him. I serve him. And then you put yourself in a little hot situation, a little hot water, test it a little bit, have somebody betray you, and just watch you light up like a Roman candle. You're just spilling flesh all over everybody. Your hot cup of flesh. I'm angry. The anger of man doesn't accomplish righteousness of God. Well, this is righteous anger. No, it isn't. And it, and it reveals who you are. And so David is in Keilah and it's a cutting away. All that stuff that David would have typically done, God's removed. He's just cutting it away. And David, you can imagine him just leaving going, no, he's having to die a thousand deaths, holding every thought captive to the mind of Christ. He's on his horse going, no, it's incredible. God just told me to save him. I don't know what he wants to do with him. That's God's deal. I'll just put him in God's hands. I, I'll, that's, that's, the Lord will deal with them. That, that's their own issue. And then he's riding a little further down. But they 
didn't even thank me. They didn't give me those. Did, oh, hold that thought captive to the mind of Christ and, to, and cast your cares on him. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. Christ Jesus. And then another 15 feet down the road, you're just angry. And you just sacrifice all the way down until you finally die. And you know when you're dead? You can't insult a dead man. You just poke him and he just doesn't even care. And you can betray a dead man. He doesn't care. That's my impersonation of Elvis. Pretty good. And the reason why David could leave is because what he did, listen, what he did, listen, what he did, he did unto the Lord. Are you doing it for the favor of man? Because the Bible says, great is your reward in heaven. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad when you face persecution. For great is your reward in heaven. Is that what you're working towards? Is that where you're storing it? Because if you don't get what you want from man, you get irritated. I got to tell you, that is the cutting away process that I went through in, that, in the last election. You just think, oh, I betrayed. I did. A, a, a Republican sheriff sent out two letters opposed to me. <laughs> Whining. The, the turnout was awful. Republicans didn't even turn out. Where were the Christians? Why didn't some of the pastors endorse me? What is the problem with the Christian church? And the Lord, you know, as I'd be whining, the Lord would say, Job 13, 15. All right, yeah, yea, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. <laughs> That's what I called you into the race with. I know, I know, I know. I never promised you victory. I told you to run. Now we did, well, you did what I told you to do. And leave it alone. Amen, thank you. And leave it alone. <laughs> it doesn't help, though. No, I'm kidding. And you just leave it alone. And you have to, you, because you become embittered to people, what is that? That's flesh. God cuts it away. Are you mine or are you still holding the reins of this deal? And he, he cuts it away. And so David is just dying to himself as he's riding into the wilderness. And that's where God takes you immediately following something like that. You just have a devastating struggle and you get into the wilderness and you're physically and spiritually, you're like, what was that about? Hello? I go down there, I fight my tail off, I pour out my soul, and these people betray me. God, he's in the wilderness. What is that about? Where are you? Why, why do you operate this way? Is this a way, if, if this is the way you treat friends, it's no wonder you have any. You know, and you're just, you're just going off on the Lord, just angry at him. Where are you? Where are you? And he's in the wilderness, both physically and spiritually. And, and what he doesn't get is the wilderness of Ziph. If, if, if I had just gone from Keilah cutting away and God sending me into the wilderness of Ziph, which is, you know, a, the refiner's place, I'd be like, no, I want to go somewhere else. I don't want any more refining. Refiner's fire. You know, what is that? It's a bubbling. It's a cauldron of heat where the slag glyphs to the surface. You skim it off until you can see your face in the reflection of the metal. I don't want to be in a refiner's fire. And you sing that like you like it. You don't even know what you're singing. Boil me, God. Take away all the slag. Just heat it so much that nobody could survive in those kind of temperatures until I'm dead and you're fully alive and all we see is you. Do ah! you know what you're singing? Are you insane? 
I thought about it. Maybe you aren't. I don't know. And he rides into the wilderness of the refiner's fire. Yeehaw! To the wilderness. And he gets into the wilderness of Ziph. And he remained there in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph and the strongholds. And while he's there, while he's there, and this is, this is where God's sovereign power and his pain meet David. Bam, 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 bam. God is just pummeling him. How? Look at it. Saul sought him every day to kill him. David's like, wait a minute. I mean, I understand that you'll never leave me nor forsake me. But I like this. It says, Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. And, he, and, and David is caught in this place that what God has promised seems inconsistent with the circumstances he's engaged in. You know, you, you say that I hide in the shadow of the Almighty. You, 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 I've written psalms to you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they cover me. And Saul's trying to kill me every day. Not yesterday, not two weeks ago. Every day, every day I wake up, he's there. We have to run. And I, I, have, to, I have to admit, God, your sovereign power and your pain does, does not correlate. It doesn't harmonize with your love. You get Joel Steen. I listen to it on XM Satellite Radio. And God has a wonderful plan for your life. And you just got to realize who you are. He doesn't even use Jesus anymore, I don't think. And it's all just sunshine and rainbows and blowing, you know, starbursts your way. And you're like, oh, God is so loving and he just wants everything for me. There's just no pain in life and it doesn't equate. Bring Joel Olstein in to see that three-year-old dying of leukemia. Where's God in that? Sovereign power, he could, he could heal that child right now. And the parents are going through pain and there's nothing I know what to say other than I know it'll work together for good. It may seem trite to you. And, and this is a wilderness to be sure. And it is a refiner's fire that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. But oh, when you get through this, you will have strength to impart to those around you and you'll be able to lead people out of the wilderness. All I know is you're coming to know a side of God that very few people have the privilege to get to realize. And it's not until you've been through that that you're able to lead people out of it. How do I know that? Verse 15 so David saw that Saul had come to seek his life and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. And look at this, verse 16, then Jonathan. Who's Jonathan? Jonathan is a man whose dad is insane. Jonathan is a man who's watched his father try to kill his best friend. Jonathan is a man who witnessed the destruction of Goliath at the hands of David, that he was so moved by the spirit of God. He laid down his instruments to declare him to be the next king of Israel and laid it at David's feet and said, you will be the next king. Jonathan is the one who saw his father say, I want that kid dead. Jonathan was the one who, who told David to run. Jonathan seeks him out in the wilderness. He arose and went to David in the woods. Why? Look at this. To strengthen his hand in God. I gotta tell you, 
There's nothing sweeter than a dear, dear friend in the midst of a wilderness. And, and not, a, not a friend who comes in to, you know, like Job's comforters. You know, obviously there's sin in your life and that's why you're in this mess. I love my brother dearly. Love him dearly. I struggle, however. I don't call him for comfort. He has two recurring statements. What you have to realize and what you have to understand. What you have to realize and what you have to understand. And it's, it, there's no compassion. There's no comfort. What you have to realize and what you have to understand. What you have to realize and what you have to understand. You're like, <laughs> clanging cymbal, sounding brass. Cling, 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 understand. Cling, 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 realize. Cling, 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 And you're just, you're like, oh, thank you. And you just want to hang up. Then you have the other person going, man, what I can tell you is it may get a lot worse, but I have to share with you how God has walked me through this and the things that I realize in the process. And, and, and I see God's hand all over you. And I just want you to know that God is with you. This may seem like the worst season of your life, but I want you to be able to see. It's like, where's Waldo? Look for Jesus in all of this. Those where's Waldo books. You look for the guy with the striped shirt. Where's Jesus? Just take the picture. No matter how bad it is, look for Jesus in the equation. Where is he? pursue him, cling to him. When you don't want to pray, that's when you pray. When you don't want to read, that's when you read. When you don't want to fellowship, that's when you fellowship. And if I don't see you in church, I'm going to come find you and bring you in, or I'll bring church to you. And, and, you, you, and you, know, you, you mourn with those who mourn, you rejoice with those who rejoice. You have this, this understanding because you've been there. You know that the person doesn't want to talk. You, so you're just silent. You just, you're, it's just the, the, the ministry of, of your presence. You, you know that certain words sound trite. You, 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 you also have seen people that bring counsel and, and their counsel in those times is, is they, they, they want to elevate themselves and, and use this to kind of pretend like they're counseling you, but they want to impose their, their presence on you. And, and you, you, you start to discern all that and sift through all that. And it teaches you how to be a comforter. It teaches you how to minister. It teaches you how to realize those things. And Jonathan gets it. This guy's heart's been broken. His dad called him, you son of a, of, of a wicked woman. I mean, his dad just abandoned him. His dad's going nuts. And everyone he loves has left the nation. And all those who are discontented and, and distressed and indebted have come to David. And, and, and Jonathan knows he's called to the Lord. And Jonathan, by his own, on his own dime, rides into the wilderness of Ziph and does what his father can't do, finds David. I knew you'd be here. I knew God would have you in the wilderness of a refiner because I've been through that, David. I wanted to come in and tell you I love you. I wanted to come through and tell you I'm encouraged by you. I'm proud of you. You ever told anyone that? You're proud of them. Those are good words to say. And then he encourages him with some promises. Verse 17 said to him, do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel. And I shall be next to you. Even my father, Saul, knows that. David, I'm going to serve you. I'm not going to be the next king. You are. Saul knows that you're, you're going to take his spot. He's panicked. He, he's the one who's afraid. You don't need to be afraid. God's got you. And what Jonathan didn't realize is, yeah, he'll be next to David in burial. He'll be next to David in spirit. He'll be next to David in the counsel he gave him all the days of his life. But this would be, I think, the last time that Jonathan would see David. And was, you know, and that was another thing. I, going through the, the betrayal and the election, and 
not that the election was a betrayal, but you know, you, you, you sit on your pity potty and you just, you, you find every reason why somebody didn't do something. And I'm not talking about you guys. I'm talking about, you know, what happened in Sacramento and I, you know, all that stuff. And, and then you, you get through that and you're like, what was that about? And then all of a sudden, you know, my godfather dies, my mentor, Dr. Crilly dies. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I called her every night at 9.30. I mean, yeah, her stories were long. I'd heard them before. There were sometimes I didn't want to call her, but the reality was she was always there to just say, I'm proud of you. Your sermons are really great. I, I love when you share with me. You know, it was, it was, it was soothing to my soul, and, and I was encouraged by that. She's gone. I'm like, Lord, you, what is that all about? You know, what, what, what does this mean? And, and God's going to take Jonathan out of David's life. And verse 18 says, so the two of them made a covenant before the Lord and David stayed in the woods and Jonathan went to his own house to the point where, where later Mephibosheth, uh, David's, or excuse me, Jonathan's son would eat it at, uh, at, at David's table. He, he kept that covenant, even though Jonathan died, he still kept that covenant. Verse 19, then the Ziphites. Now these, these are folks that are seeking to curry favor with Saul. Their life isn't threatened. And they happen to be, interestingly enough, Israelites. They're, they're from Judah. They're from the tribe of Judah. They're Ziphites. They're David's people. And they're being used to refine David. And you know what they are? They're God's people. So, so he leaves fighting the Philistines. Now he's with his own people, his own tribe. And they're the ones who are dumping on him now. It's like, it's like going through a trial in the world and then coming to church and listening to the gossip of everybody. You're like, I can get this out there. And the only difference is God is teaching David how to discern between what a Philistine is and what a Ziphite is. Philistines are enemies. Ziphites are God's people. What are you telling me? Well, the church is filled with Philistines who've been converted to Ziphites. They still have a little Philistine in them. And you've got to dwell with them with patience and kindness and speak the truth and love and overlook an offense and endeavor to keep the union of the spirit and the bond of peace. You're like, you know, ministry would be great if it wasn't for the people. And, and these, are, these are the Ziphites. They're the... They don't, they don't like the worship or they don't like the, the temperature in the room or they, they you know, the, the don't do, well, I don't know what it is. And, and I probably just said something you've said and I didn't mean to, yeah, I did, I really did. But what I'm saying is, it, it's, we all become a Ziphite at one point or another. And, 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 and as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's even a grinding process where people just irritate you and, and you have to dwell with them with patience and endeavor to keep the union of the spirit and the bond of peace. And you dwell together in unity and, and you persevere and they grind you and they grind you and they grind you and you just endeavor. And the next thing you know, one day you turn around and you go, you know, I really have enjoyed this season of, of being in your life and you being in mine. You know, Tim Hurd, who's a political writer for the Ventura County Star, he's, I wouldn't say he's quite a Ziphite, he's more like a Philistine, but... <laughs> He, interestingly enough, you know, I, I would read the stuff he'd write and from his perspective, I would try to understand it and, and it would, it would ch- challenge me. It would chasten me. And I would try to see the world through his eyes. I try to endeavor to understand. And if I'm going to represent him, if I'm going to, and, and you, you, you met all kinds of people in the election and, and, you know, you, you, you're listening to stuff and you're, you're trying to grasp issues and you're, 
And, and after a while, you start getting a little sharper on these things and you start to understand how things line up. And that's what's happening to David with these Ziphites. The Ziphites came up to Saul and Gibeah saying, is David not hiding with us in strongholds in the woods in the hill of Hakalah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desires of your soul to come down and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hand. And I love this part. Saul said, blessed are you of the Lord for you have had compassion on me. Isn't it amazing when you have a backslidden person who is not even walking with the Lord, they are engaged in up neck deep or up to their eyes or their earlobes or whatever in sin. And, and the minute that, that, you know, somebody comes to give them a handout or something or enable them in some capacity, they go, oh, bless you. Those Christians don't get it, but you do. Thank you. You know, you give, you know, you, you give something to somebody and you just know exactly where it's going to go and what they're going to do with it. And they're like, God bless you. God, God bless me for enabling you to go kill yourself. And, and you know, it, what, does, what purpose does that serve? And that's Saul. He is so far from the Lord, but for him to say, God bless you, you've had compassion on me. What's he trying to do? Killed God's anointed. And he still invokes the name of God. And when you look at the Civil War, we had, we had the Confederate states seeking to enslave human beings. And you had the Union with Lincoln trying to stop it, and both prayed to the same God, asking for different results. And, and Saul's invoking the name of God to kill his anointed. And he's, he's speaking to those who are betraying David, who are of his tribe, to say, God bless you for having compassion on me. It's amazing how we can invoke biblical language to justify our, our unbiblical behavior. And he says... Um, Verse 22, please go and find out for sure and see the place where his hideout is and who has seen him there. For I am told he is very crafty. He's like Satan. See therefore and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with certainty and I will go with you and it shall be if he is in the land that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the plain south of Jeshimon. And when Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David, therefore he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of uh, Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Then Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul. For Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. Now stop for a minute. David gets word of it. David begins to run. He's in the wilderness of Maon. He's on one side of a mountain. Saul's coming in on the other side of the mountain. And they're, 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 you know, Saul's running this way. David's running this way. And as soon as they circle around, David's done. And I mean, we are, this is, and they're just moments from connecting. And the minute Saul turns that corner and he sees David, it's over. It's over. And, and David, you know, you think about this. David is caught in that place that, that God has promised deliverance but the circumstances seem to negate God's promises. You, see, you can imagine David running, you said we were going to be saved, and they're right behind us. I can hear him on the other side of the mountain. You said we were going to be saved. What are you doing? Where are you? Why are you doing this to me? I don't understand you. I don't understand you. And as he's whining at that moment, verse 27 says, but a messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come for the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. So they, meaning David's men, David, called the place the rock of escape. Hamalekoth. Hamalekoth. 
the place of escape. Then David went up from there and dwelt in the strongholds of Engedi. Another way to describe Hamalekoth is a rock that divides or the rock that separates. A rock that divides or the rock that separates. You know, Paul wrote in Romans 8, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all? How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us? The rock of separation, Jesus Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? The rock of separation is God is removing us from ourselves and filling us with him. He's the rock of separation. He's delivering us from all of our enemies and we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I close with this picture that David actually penned. And uh, before I read it, I want to read you 1 Peter 2. For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, and we should also follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return, and when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. You see, David wrote, a mashkill. And a mashkill is one of 14 psalms that David wrote. And, and they're, they're psalms of uh, suffering. These were lessons God instilled into David deeply in these seasons of life. And in this moment, in 1 Samuel 23, David wrote Psalm 54. He said, save me, O God. By your name and vindicate me by your strength. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen up against me. That's how he considered his own tribe. They're strangers. I don't know these people. They've risen up against me and oppressors have sought after my life. They've not set God before them. Selah means contemplate, meditate on this. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is with those who uphold my life. He will repay my enemies for their evil and cut cut them off in your truth. And I will freely sacrifice to you, and I'll praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. You see, you're going to go through the cutting place, and God's going to cut all that off you. And then you're going to go through the refining place in the wilderness. And it's not until you can be in the midst of the battle itself and say, why are you afraid? God's got this. That's the kind of leader he's putting together. You see, we can worship all we want, but the minute that it hits the fan, do we hit our knees or do we start whining? 
What kind of leadership is that? What, do you, what does it say to your children? God, where are you? What are you doing? And, and I, I, I'm not there yet. I, I consider it all joy. I, I struggle. But I have news for you. He's got me in the wilderness of Ziff. I don't like it. And, and every day I wonder, you know, God, and, and I feel it, and I'm thrilled by the process. It's been a very exciting time, but I can't say that I've wholly enjoyed it. It's hard. It's hard. But it sure is worth it. Because how are we going to take anyone where we're not willing to go ourselves? How deep is your Christianity? Are you going to be able to bring comfort into a room when God's sovereignty and his pain don't harmonize with his love and somehow give comfort to the people who are going through the wilderness of Ziff? Can you do that? You can only do it if you've been there. So don't despise it. Embrace it. Look for the Lord in the midst of it. And watch God do an amazing work in and through your life. God is, is making David the king he anointed him to be. But it's going to require pain. No quitting. Amen.